in the valley of Elah, two mighty armies stood facing each other. That of the Philistines and that of the Israelites led by King Saul. And then suddenly there was a stirring in the Philistine camp. And out from the ranks strode Goliath, a nine-foot-six tall giant with a bronze helmet on his head wearing a breastplate that weighed 125 pounds. Armed with bronze leg protectors, armed with a huge sword and a spear and a javelin. And as Goliath strode forth, he issued a challenge to the armies of Israel. He said, let one of you come and fight me in single combat, and if, if he beats me, we will become your servants. But if I beat him, then you will become our servants. When Saul, when King Saul and all of Israel heard Goliath's taunts, they trembled in fear. They were dismayed. And every day for 40 days, Goliath came forth with this challenge. And no one in all of Israel, not even King Saul, was himself a head taller than all of the rest of the army. Even King Saul would not come forward to fight this giant, even though it was his responsibility as the king. No one would go to face Goliath until the young David came to see his brothers with supplies from his father and heard the giant's taunts. And he was incensed. He thought, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's brothers were indignant. But word of David's challenge reached the ears of King Saul and earned him an audience with the king. And the king said to David, well, you're only a youth. How could you possibly stand against this giant who's been a warrior for many years? But David said that the same God who had given him victory over lions and bears would give him victory over this giant as well. And so Saul assented and said, okay, you can go and fight against this giant, but here, take my armor to fight against Goliath. But when David tried them on, even this was armor that, that he was familiar with, he, he had been Saul's armor bearer, he knew this armor well, but he, was, he had never tried it in battle. So he said, I'll fight in my own way, with my own weapons. And so all he took was a staff and his shepherd's bag and his sling and five smooth stones from the riverbed. And he went forth to face Goliath. Goliath was armed in weapons that we could hardly even lift. The king had offered David his own armor. But David, even without any physical armor, had a far, far better defense than either Goliath or Saul, because he went forward in the armor of God. When Goliath saw David, he mocked and cursed him by his gods. 
Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not say with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You know what happened next. David ran forward towards the giant, taking a, sting, a, a stone and putting it in the sling and throwing it at Goliath. As he struck Goliath in the head, the giant fell to the ground, and then with Goliath's own sword, David cut off his head. Goliath was wearing full armor. Again, armor that, that most of us could not even lift. David would not even wear Saul's armor. And if he had, he never would have stood against Goliath. He wore no physical armor at all, but his armor was far better and protected him in a far greater way than Goliath or Saul. Again, he was standing in the armor of God. Brothers and sisters, we stand against an enemy far more formidable than Goliath and far more dangerous. Will you stand? How will you stand? What armor are you wearing? As we continue our focus on the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, remember that last week we saw from verses 10 to 13 that we need strength from the Lord to stand against the enemies that are arrayed against us. We need strength from the Lord. We need His might if we are going to be able to stand against the devil and his schemes and against his demonic horde. Paul emphasized verses 10 to 13, that we need the whole armor of God. This is not multiple choice. We need every piece of God's armor if we're going to stand. He spoke in more general terms, but now he gets into the specifics, describing each piece. Remember that Paul wrote this letter from a Roman prison, surrounded by Roman soldiers. And while it's not likely that they were in full combat armor, this likely sparked the idea for, to use them as a metaphor for the Christian's spiritual battle. But when we think of, of what really inspired Paul to write this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. We see this morning that the, the three pieces of armor that we're going to look at, in fact, all of the pieces of armor that, that he's going to be talking about, are, are drawn from the book of Isaiah. Specifically this morning from Isaiah 11.5 and 52.7 and 59.17. We're going to see each one of these in turn. We're going to see that this is God's armor. That God gives us his own armor to fight his battle. So God's battle armor is given to God's people as they engage in spiritual warfare. And this is God's armor. 
The enemy is much stronger than us, and we need God's armor if we are going to stand. So this morning we're going to look at the first three pieces of armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and gospel shoes. The command first goes out in, in the beginning of verse 14, stand. Stand. Paul's already told us to stand three times in, in the previous two verses. Stand, withstand, and stand firm. But now he says it again, this time in the imperative, he's, he's emphasizing the, the command to stand. This is a command that goes forward from our supreme commanding officer, from God himself. The command is to stand. Again, the image is, is here of, of soldiers in combat. The, the command is to hold the line. It's to stand firm against the onslaught of the devil. This is a primarily defensive posture that the armies of God take as they stand together. You could envisage a, a Roman army with, with a, a huge row of soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield against this, this force that is coming against them. This is not single combat like David and Goliath. This is this is an entire army against an entire army. We are standing together against the forces of the devil. So the command is to stand, bracing yourself against the enemy's assault. And because you have put on the armor of God, you will stand. You will not give ground. You will not retreat. You will not fall. Yes, you might lose individual, individual battles. But final victory in the war is assured because Jesus won the victory on the cross. And he gives us the armor with which he is won to fight. We face an enemy far more powerful than us and much more cunning. We face the devil and his schemes. We face the powers of darkness. But no matter how strong the devil is, no matter how clever his schemes, he will not gain victory over us provided that we are strengthened by someone who is stronger than us. Someone who is stronger than him. Provided that we are strengthened by the Lord himself. We are strengthened in the Lord, in the power of his might. The very strength of Jesus Christ has been given to you, Christians. For victory in this fight. So when you put on every piece of his armor, of Christ's armor, then you are strengthened in the Lord. You are strengthened in the power of his might. Again, this is a command. This is a command for the church to stand together, shoulder to shoulder, in the armor that God has provided for you. So this main, the main command is to stand, and then underneath that is the command to put on each of the individual pieces of armor. And again, in verses 14 and 15, it's this, we're going to talk about, about having, you stand having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having, having put off, but rather put on gospel shoes, having done those things, you stand. 
The first piece of armor that Paul describes here is the belt of truth. He says, having fastened on the belt of truth. It's literally having girt up your loins with truth. What this means is, is, is the soldiers would, would wear uh, kind of flowing um, garments, but, but they would, would to gird them up and to gather the garments together. To gather the garments together in order to be ready for action. To fasten them securely around your waist in preparation for strenuous physical exertion. And here, the physical exertion is of a battle. The same word is used in Luke 12, verse 35, where the Lord says, Stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. So we need to be ready for battle. Now, this, this particular belt was was one that, that it was a leather belt that soldiers would wear around their waist, and it had leather, uh, leather straps that would hang below it in order to protect their midsection. And remember that, that as Paul was, was writing from this Roman prison, that the soldiers were guarding him probably had on this very piece of equipment. But even though Roman armor was, was in his mind, again, he was drawing from something far more powerful from God's own armor. So please, if you will turn your Bible uh, back, to, uh, back to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Here we see that this, this shoot from the stump of, of Jesse has the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And and. The Spirit of the Lord is resting upon him. This is the Messiah. This is speaking of the Messiah. In verses 4 and 5 we read, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now hear this in verse 5. Righteousness shall be hit the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here we see that the rule of the Messiah in his kingdom is characterized by righteousness and faithfulness. Now you want to keep your finger there in Isaiah because we're going to come back uh, in, a, in a little bit to Isaiah 59. But back here in, in Ephesians 6 again, we, we can see how the, the parallels as, as the Messiah fights for his people there in Isaiah... He fights for us against our enemies. And so his battle armor is now given to his people. His battle armor has been given to you in order to engage in the same conflict. And so this, this rule, rule of the Messiah is characterized by righteousness and faithfulness. And this same righteousness and faithfulness is given to his people. So here in Ephesians, what then does, does Paul mean when he speaks of the belt of truth? Well, truth here, as Harold Honer explains, is the reality of that which is reliable and trustworthy as opposed to that which is false. Okay, so it's, it's, it's the reality of that which is reliable and trustworthy as opposed to that which is false. What does that mean for us? Is Paul referring to the objective truth of Christianity? 
or is he referring to the subjective truth of the believer's righteousness and faithfulness? Well, I believe here that it's actually both. I like the way uh, P.T. O'Brien puts it. He says, truth is the truth of God contained in the gospel lived out in the new humanity. Okay? Truth is the truth of God contained in the gospel and lived out in the new humanity. So we have girded ourselves with the truth of God's righteousness and faithfulness through the gospel. And it's become part of us, enabling us to stand firm against Satan's schemes. And so we internalize these truths about God, and then in turn, we operate in that truth. So our words and our thoughts and our behavior reflect that of Christ. And so given that, that lies and deceit are, are one of the devil's main tactics, doesn't it make sense that we as Christians need to be armored in the Lord's truth? Are you armored in the Lord's truth? Have you fastened on the belt of truth? Have you girded your loins with truth? Have you appropriated the objective reality of who God is, of His righteousness and faithfulness, not just as mental assent, but have you put your confidence in God's righteousness and faithfulness through the gospel? Have you taken hold of these truths and owned them for yourself of who God is and what that means to you in your present walk? Is the truth of who God is changing and shaping the way you think, the way you speak, the way you live your life? Are your thoughts grounded on who God is, looking at all of life through the lens of the Word? Is your speech gracious and seasoned with salt? Are our people built up and encouraged by, inter by interactions with you as they see Christ in you? That's the practical outworking of, of the, the truths of who God is as He changes us, as He shapes us. Is your life marked by holy conduct and faithfulness to God's commands? Friends, this is how you stand against the devil and his schemes. This is what it means to, to put on the belt of truth. The second piece of armor that Paul describes is the blessed breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now for the Roman soldier, the, the breastplate was, was a, a, a plate made of, of usually iron or bronze that was worn over the chest. And it was, it was attached to a leather tunic, and it, it, protected, it protected his chest from swords and axes and spears and, and arrows. But again, this image comes from Isaiah. So once again, please turn back in your Bible to, to the book of Isaiah. And here, Isaiah 59, this is the passage that Vince read for us earlier. Now here the image is shifted from that which we saw in Isaiah 11. This time we see the people of God overtaken by their sins. And there's a list that, that the prophet lists here that is, is really parallel to the indictments that, that Paul levels against the human race in Romans 3. Look at, uh, at Isaiah 59, 14. Justice is turned.
turn back and righteousness stands far away. The, the Lord is, sees these things and is displeased. And he saw that there was no man to intercede. So he determines to bring salvation by his own arm. And in verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. We're going to talk about the helmet of salvation next week, Lord willing. That is the breastplate of righteousness that we're dealing with here this morning. The breastplate of righteousness. Well, what are the implications for us in this command to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Again, there, there's some dispute about, about what this actually means. Does it refer to the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you? Or does it refer to your righteous character? Is it the righteousness of Christ that is credited to your account, as in Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe? Or is it the righteousness that we are commanded to walk in, in Romans 6.13, to present your members to God as instruments of righteousness? Once again, I believe both are true. Both are true. By receiving God's righteousness through the gospel, you begin to behave righteously. The righteousness of Christ is credited to you through faith, and then it leads to your living a righteous life. So the breastplate guards your heart against the devil's assaults. As Puritan Thomas Brooks warned, he says, and until we have sinned, Satan is a parasite. But when we have sinned, he is a tyrant. It's like I said last week, one of his main schemes is, is first to be your tempter. He tempts you, and then when you fall, he becomes your accuser. So first here, again, he is, he is a parasite, and then he becomes a tyrant. And I know that all of us here, at, at one time or another in our lives, have experienced what it is like to be under the dominion of that cruel tyrant. And as those who in Christ have been set free and have been, been delivered from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light, as those who have been set free from the rule of Satan, we are commanded to, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to not give Satan, one square centimeter through which to attack us. So how do you put on the breastplate of righteousness? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in His righteousness, His perfect obedience, His love for His Heavenly Father, His love for His neighbors, credited to your account. Are you trusting in that? Is your life in turn characterized by righteousness, by loving obedience to God? Again, this is how you will stand against the devil and his schemes. So we've talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, and now we turn to the last piece of armor that we're going to focus on this morning, gospel shoes. 
Paul says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And, and it's literally here, having your feet shod with the, pres with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, Roman soldiers wore footwear called caligas, their, their leather sandals with thongs that were, were tied halfway up their, their shin. And, and on the soles of, of their sandals were hobnails like cleats that enabled the soldiers to maintain a firm foothold on the battlefield. So please here turn one more time to Isaiah, this time to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, and, and, uh, and again in this context we see God's people being assailed by their enemies. But this time if you, if you look at verse 7 you see that there is a herald coming forth to proclaim good news. It's how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now we can see from this that, that Isaiah is speaking of a, of a different uh, type of footwear from Paul. Isaiah referred to a, a swift, single messenger bearing good news of peace, whereas Paul referred to an army of soldiers planting their feet on the good news of peace in preparation for a coming assault. So what does Paul mean then here when he speaks of, of having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Does he mean uh, that we are to be prepared to proclaim the gospel? Or does he mean that we are to be prepared by the gospel? Now some would suggest that, that since the posture of the soldiers back here in Ephesians 6 is mainly defensive, that it cannot refer to advancing with the gospel. They contend that the readiness in this context means, means preparation, or a solid foundation, or a firm footing. Now it's interesting though that, that here that the word that is translated prepared is the same root word as in 1 Peter 3.15, always being prepared to make an offense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So, so which is it? Well, I think you, you could probably anticipate what I'm going to say here. Once again, I believe that both are correct. That those who are properly equipped in God's armor are standing firm on the solid foundation of the gospel. Their feet are braced they're ready for the spiritual onslaught of Satan. But being ready also means being, being ready to proclaim the gospel. So holding fast on the ground that has been won for us in Christ, we are fully prepared to proclaim the liberty that can be found only in Christ. The Messiah, Christ himself, is the supreme messenger of good news for his people, as he applied that role to himself. You can see that in Luke 4, 18 and 19, where he said, according to Isaiah 61, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so the, the primary messenger of the good news is Christ himself. And he is also our peace. This is one of the core messages of Ephesians, as Paul clearly taught in Ephesians 2, 14-18, that in his flesh, 
Christ has broken down the wall of hostility that divided Jew from Gentile and divided us all from God, reconciling us both to God in one body. So Christ is our messenger, and Christ is our peace. But we also are his messengers proclaiming his peace. Have you put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace? Are your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Are, are you grounded in the gospel? Are you confident of all that God has done for you in Christ? Look back at Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. Look, look back at this passage regularly. We, we spent a, a quite a bit of time on this several months ago. In Christ you received every spiritual blessing. In Christ, you are chosen before the foundation of the world. In Christ, you are blessed. In Christ, you have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of your sins. In Christ, you have obtained an inheritance. In Christ, you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. These are just some of the, of the blessings that you have received in Christ through the gospel. And so as you walk through this life, knowledge of the gospel and knowledge of your reliance on the gospel will give you a strong foothold in the midst of battle. It will help you to stand. Another one of the, the main tactics that the enemy uses is to, to cause you to doubt your assurance of salvation. To whisper words of, of condemnation into your ears that, that God is not going to forgive you again. We talked about this more extensively last week. But it's in preaching the gospel to yourself daily that you stand against Satan and his schemes. It's in the gospel that you have your feet planted firmly against Satan and his attacks. It's in having your feet shod with gospel shoes that you are prepared to stand. And it will also help you to be prepared to go forth with the good news of peace. Because you have received peace with God and your fellow man, then you're eager to proclaim that peace to your fellow man. That they too might have the peace that you have received. And so when you prepare the when you proclaim the good news, you are proclaiming that God reigns. By standing firm on the gospel, you are also proclaiming the wisdom of God to the enemies of God in fulfillment of Ephesians 3:10. We looked at this also several months ago, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So as you go forth, as you are even prepared to go forth to proclaim the gospel, you are declaring, you are proclaiming the wisdom of God to the enemies of God, both here on earth and his enemies in the heavenly places. Don't you find it ironic? that we are proclaiming peace in the midst of war. 
Because we who are at peace with God have received the most important peace, the eternal peace that can only be had in Christ. When the army of God is arrayed in the armor of God, we will stand. The battle is hard and the enemy is strong. But the battle has already been won. The war has already been won and the battle will not last forever. And the Lord your God is stronger. Remember 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In 1 John 3, 8. That the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The war has been won. Final victory will be achieved. Stand firm, putting on the armor that has been given to you in Christ. Stand firm in the victory that has been won for you in Him. We'll close with this quote from Thomas Brooks in his, in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He says, remember this, that your life is short, your duties many, your assistance great, and your reward sure. Therefore, faint not. Hold on and hold up in ways of well-doing, and heaven shall make amends for all. Let's pray together.